Hey guys, thanks for listening. This is Matt. I here I'm starting over. Start over. Go. Okay. Hey guys, this is Matt. I want to thank you for listening to our last episode, the armed bank robbery creative storytelling episode. Um, it was a little bit shorter than our usual episodes, and I feel like we missed some details. So this episode is a Q&A format that Brittany and I will be doing of questions that I get asked frequently where I will dive into the thoughts and feelings and different situations that I had during this time in my life. I hope that my answers provide some type of insight for people who are listening. So if there are any more questions or anything that you'd like to know or comment on, um, do it on doitscared.com slash podcast or comment on Instagram or TikTok. Without further ado, enjoy this episode called Details Matter. Let's do it one more time. I mean, that was pretty good. That was, that was okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. Hey guys, this is Matt. I would like to thank you for listening to our last episode. It was a bit shorter than some of our episodes in the past uh, due to the creative storytelling approach. We had fun doing it, but in doing so, we missed some details or omitted some, let's just say. So this episode is a Q&A format um, that Brittany and I are going to do of questions that I get asked frequently. Um, I will dive into the thoughts and feelings that I had during this situation, and I hope that my answers provide some insight, um, if nothing else, to our listeners. If there is a question that you might have, feel free to submit it on doitscared.com slash podcast or comment on Instagram or TikTok. Without further ado, enjoy this episode called Details Matter. So when I heard about your story, Matt, naturally, I had a bunch of questions for you. (laughs) I mean, I think we spent literally hours where I was asking you maybe some very detailed questions that you have maybe even never thought about before. And over time, you've had friends, family ask you a lot of questions. We've had people submit questions to our website. And I've created an exhaustive list that range from the creation of planning to the execution to the aftermath of your experience during that time in your life. So let's go and get started on question number one here, all right? Okay. All right. So can you tell us what led to the point to where you felt compelled that bank robbery was the only option left, right? We're listening to this, and as your average listener, you know, I know that being in debt can be hard, you know, living life on the run can be hard, but how is that the answer in your head during this time? Um, it wasn't me, you know. <laughs> okay, uh-huh. It's a great alibi. <laughs> well, you know, that's the way I feel. You know, I'm constantly looking at it from from that uh, average Joe point of view. And I don't, I feel, I say frequently that I have an out-of-body experience when this happened, but, you know, leading up to the point where I said, hey, this is, I'm going to rob a bank, right? I mean, who does that? How is that a, you know, solution for any problem? So I had exhausted all of my other options and resources. And I refused to just sit there and let the system happen to me. So, you know, specifically, I was facing, um, well, Tennessee had passed this law, right, where 
um, if you don't pay on court costs and they suspend your driver's license. And I had, you know, at least four counties of, you know, whether it be a driving on suspended or some, you know, lightweight traffic misdemeanor or something like that, where I'm trying to keep these court costs up. And uh, one trip to court, it's it's going to be a grand or better, you know. So when you don't have any money, just giving these people twenty five dollars a month is a, you know, it's a it's a thing. So and if you don't, they just automatically suspend your driver's license. The next time you're got a cracking your tail light or uh, the trailer lights aren't working or something you get pulled over then you realize that your license is suspended they take you to jail they impound your car and that had happened to me about at a minimum it had happened to me almost 10 times i went to court um believe it was 31 times in 2015 wow and uh, in addition, I had, uh, you know, during, you know, this drug tear that I was on, I had uh, a charge on me that was terminating prematurely. They had started my probation before I got out of jail, which is great in any other situation. You're like, wow, you just, you know, kind of got them for six months. But there was also a fine attached to that $3,500 restitution fine, which was might as well have been a million dollars to me right in that perspective yeah right sure so on top of that i had um you know became aware that my uh girlfriend was pregnant with my daughter and you know we just i decided that hey you know what guess what i have skills i can you know start a business i can start building decks i can trim houses you know and we can make a good living for ourselves and 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 have a second chance at you know, what I had failed at my entire life. And I was excited about it. I went to the ultrasounds. I was completely jazzed. And so when I started this business, um, you know, I had gotten a couple of jobs and I finally landed a nice contract. And, you know, we got the deposit on it, got all set up, got the licenses and the permits and the equipment and the tools and put some tires on the truck and went through all this stuff. And, uh, of course, you know, got ready to do the project and then boom, they, they backed out on it, like right at the day of the start date. And it was all due to my criminal history. And of course they wanted their deposit back. And I was like, uh, you know, five, six grand of that was gone. So I give them back what we had left and I'm getting these emails from lawyers saying, you're gonna, you know, you're facing a myriad of you know, punitive damages and this and this and this. And I had worked out a payment plan that wasn't good enough. And, you know, I went, I even, you know, I tried to make uh, like murals and signs for businesses. I spent time in my backyard making a sign for like uh, Griffin's Market, you know, every store around me, I was in there. I was like, hey, you guys uh, need to advertise just you know, because for me, at least my artistic abilities, I could go buy a couple of sheets of plywood, some lighting and some screws and stuff and create something beautiful, you know, just with my hands versus, uh, you know, the let's say building a house, you know, where someone else is more than likely to get the job. So I was like, maybe I was just trying to do everything that I could. Right. And um, it it all just kind of boiled down to, oh, yeah, there was one more thing. I had another driving on suspended in Williamson County that was, 
the situation where, you know, I've been in the court a thousand times, you know, you go get your driver's license, you show up to court with it, they throw the case out, it's over with. But in Williamson County, that doesn't work. I showed up with my driver's license, approached the DA and was like, hey, can you, you know, get this thrown out with court costs and, you know, I'll be on my way. Well, they made a big deal of it and said, no, we're continuing your case until next month and you are going to come back with a lawyer. You're not going to disrespect this court again by not being represented by counsel and you are going to do some jail time for this driving on suspended. And I was like, holy crap, man. So I got to go over here and buy a lawyer for $3,500, which is the minimum up there and um, only the to go to jail anyways, which if I didn't, it was going to be more. So all of this had culminated down to like this Monday. I had the Monday after the bank of the bank robbery, it was of course on a Friday. And I, you know, had said everything up to that day. I was like, finally, when nothing worked, I of course was like, well, at least I can go to my pain doctor, get the medicine. And we can have, who, who knows, maybe we'll find a good buyer and have a, a, enough money to, you know, give this one a few hundred, give this one a thousand, give this one a few hundred and just kind of keep on going here. But of course, I ended up getting, you know, terminated by my doctor, getting robbed for my last script. And then at that point, you know, walking basically had just been ran over by this pickup truck. Walking back to the car, I like, that's the moment right there in that gas station. I knew I was like, I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to do something. I have to do something. I can't just sit there and wait for a county cop car to come pulling up on Tuesday or Wednesday with a misdemeanor warrant or a few days in jail, which is going to turn into a revoking of bond and then have this one come and this one come and be running through this system for the next, who knows, decade. So, and it's all money, all revolves around money. It's kind of crazy too, because they made that law, the driver's license law illegal during my prison stay and then overturned it two years later and made it back to that again. It's really weird, but that's neither here nor there. So after being robbed and ran over and exhausted all our resources, which was, I think, a Tuesday or Wednesday before that, that fateful Friday is the moment that I was like, I've got to do something. I'm, you know, and that's the only thing that I could think of. That's the only thing that I could think of is walking out there with a big bag of money, paying everybody and not hurting anyone and getting on with my life. As like, you know, some, someone from the outside perspective, I know you mentioned a few other options you were considering and doing, right? You were hustling hard, whether it was a business, murals, uh, you know, selling pills. But were there any other options? Like, what about your friends or family borrowing money? What about, you know, other types of jobs? Um, you know, do you really feel like looking back, you exhausted every option? I mean, I, I do feel that way. But, you know, the way my life was going at that time, I mean, I had, number one, I, I know I've talked about my, my aunt before and that she's been such a big contributor and a big factor in someone that's always been a means of support in my life. Um, she died of stomach cancer like two months before that. And I didn't even know she was sick. Like I got called one day, somebody said that she was, you know, that she had passed. And I was like, wait, what, what do you mean? Like nobody even told me anything was wrong with her. I haven't talked to her in like a year. So 
what's going on? And so that was like, I mean, maybe subconsciously, I think that that affected me a lot. Like it was just something that I kind of never processed. And um, then I had worked with my uncle at the subdivision that you know, with a contractor that he had been with for like 30 years and actually did what I wish that I could have done 20 years ago, which is, you know, get in with that outfit and be a, a superintendent and, you know, manage the construction and closing of these, you know, million dollar homes that they've been building around Mount Juliet there. And that's what I was doing is, you know, managing the sites. I was very familiar with everything from ground to, to roof and everything in between, you know, it could foresee problems and, you know, troubleshoot stuff. And it was, I was an asset and, you know, I was irresponsible. I, you know, some days I'd be there, some days I wouldn't. Some, sometimes I would take care of the things that needed to take care of. If I saw an opportunity to, to jerk around, I did. So, and then I ended up losing that, that. And, you know, when it comes to, you know, parents, family, or anybody else, it's just like uh, too little, too late. You know, there wasn't anything. There was no way, no way and no one. There may have been something or someone I could have, you know, but it's just like, not again, you know, I've already did all this stuff. I just, you know, I'm tired. I, I'm, you know, we have an opportunity to start over this, like, it shouldn't be like this. We shouldn't be looking in, into this. So I was extremely, you know, just fed up and it, that was it, you know? Yeah. So you've now decided it's time to rob a bank. So on that, that, you know, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, even, you know, up until that morning, walk us through that process. Like if you can in detail of how you were preparing, what was going through your head, if you could bring us back to that time? Well, it was, I know it was really, it was really hard because I didn't have any money. You know, and to me, if you're going to do something right, it, it takes the proper planning and, you know, preparation. And I needed things in order to be able to get away and um, to be efficient and, mm -hmm. you know, concise with this. I needed, you know, a proper disguise. I needed a, the right kind of vehicle. I needed it to either look a certain way so that I could change it. You know, there were a lot of details. And like I say, details matter. So, you know, I didn't want them to be able to read my plates or I needed to either go and steal a car and then i was like man I, I can't go steal a car i've never stolen a car before in my life i don't you know then so that was out of the question for me so i experimented painting uh the fender of my truck with some acrylic paint with after when it was you know nice and dirty and dusty you know how paint rubs off when you don't clean the surface especially when it's that uh, cheap acrylic paint so i sprayed some on there immediately because i knew it would need a, t a day to set up and then uh the next day i went out and wiped it off with a dry t-shirt and it came right off so i was like okay that'll work great so i can drive up with a black truck and leave with the you know and leave with the black truck and then i can wash this off in the woods somewhere and everyone's looking for a black vehicle so there's my getaway so um next is my appearance you know i'm thinking i need to look like someone else i need to throw them off i need to have them looking for um a different type of person you know i could wear a clown costume in there that it may give away my height or race or you know my eye color and all that stuff so i decided to 
look like the a normal person, but a different race, taller, a uh, different voice, a different eye color. I had heel inserts for my shoes. I had um, stolen a, the Jimi Hendrix costume from Party City. I just had to walk in there, grab it, and just walk out the door. Buzzers beeping and just walk out, which is like, you know, I'm my heart's racing right now just thinking about it, you know? And number two, I had to you know, commit another theft and walk into a, a drugstore and steal a couple of burner phones, which is just all hard, all together. Like every moment is like a cortisol pumping, you know, stress factory. So just crazy. Finally, you know, building a simulated explosive device was a, a you know, I feel like I'm a terrorist or something, you know, I'm, it's like shaking and very nervous the whole time just like and then i'm doing it and, and i actually have this surreal moment and i'm like this is what i'm doing you know i am planning to rob a bank and i am a crazy person so i'm you know it was very surreal extremely surreal um to add to the planning or you know those those details you know moving up to it i it, one you know i had i had to to say something you know my girlfriend was there she was like surely you're not gonna go through with what i think you're gonna go through with and i was like look i'm gonna you know we, let's have dinner i think it was a couple of days you know wednesday thursday night isaac was there matthew was there um, my girlfriend was there and, you know, I told him, I said, look, next week, either there's going to be, they're going to have a warrant and they're going to pull up to get me, or I'm going to have to go out here and do something that's basically going to put me at risk and possibly put me in prison for the next 10 or 15 years. If I don't try, then they're just going to pull up, you know, and that's that. Or I'm, or I can just take off and go on the run, and I am tired of that. I'm not doing that anymore. It seems like I've done it my entire life. I am ready for whatever this is to be washed away, one way or another. Either we're gonna pay the money and start our life over new, or we're gonna do the time and start our life over new. And um, it was emotional. It was a tough thing, but it's like they, it almost didn't blame me. You know, that's the, the impression that I got. It was tough. It was, it was really tough. Do you, do you feel like there a little bit of like understanding the situation helped you cope with any doubt or regrets you may have been having during that process? Or, or like, did you have any of those feelings and how did you cope with it before it happened? Um, it was hard because I had originally, you know, began to i was scared you know i was sad i was emotional and even every time that i would get like that i would feel myself um decide not to i wouldn't say no i just can't do this i'm just gonna sit down and wait for them you know like i always have or you know just deal with it and I wouldn't let those thoughts come in. I would just keep on moving. I would keep like, like I say, put one foot in front of the other. I would keep my hands busy. I was like, okay, I got to get focused on the next thing. Okay, that's done. Now it's time to do this. This is done. Now it's time to do that. And then, you know, feeling one way or another, it almost made me feel like, oh, wow, you love me. Okay, never mind. But I, I couldn't afford to, to th I did, I did 
feel that way. I did. And it made me want to, to just make me, I just wanted it all to go away. I just wanted to be able to, you know, and one way I felt like, you know, my debts have been paid. I've been working, you know, I haven't been making any noise. I've been, you know, under the radar. And at the same time, I was like, look at where my life's at. Something's going to change here right. one way or another. Uh, do you feel like your background as an artist influenced the way that you approached this whole act? Because I definitely see, you know, just knowing you, but also in your storytelling of this, the amount of artistry that you had in it, right? Like a blockbuster explosive device or the fact that, you know, airbrushing. People can't just like pick up an airbrush and start doing it well. So how do you think, you know, being an artist influenced? Well, I mean, it, it would play a major role. So, you know, it was, um, of course, I didn't try to, um, you know, make the signs and the stuff for to try to, you know, climb my way out of that and you know maybe someone you know would have noticed those and say hey i want one too and the next guy said hey i want one too but it was too little too late of course but what's funny is the airbrush that i had was gifted to me by um a man up the street and he happened to be a uh federal correctional officer oh <laughs> the irony in this story, we'll, and we'll talk about that a little bit, that it, that's just... Very, iron, very yep. ironic. Yep. Was, he was like, whatever you do, do something well with it. I just want to see you succeed. And I, oh, I man. like laid awake and felt so terrible about that so many times because the only thing I did with that thing was make those two signs and then use it to paint my skin. You know, I made up like a special, you know, kind of mixture that, you know, reflected the skin type that I went for. And, um, you know, I got everywhere in my ears, behind everywhere and closed my eyes and, you know, made it happen. And, um, of course, making the, the device and, and then planning it all, it was almost like conducting a symphony, you know, and I think about it a lot because like when I was in, uh, when I finally did make it to prison and I was a few years in, I was in this particular program where, you know, I would have guys helping me and I would have like this guy over here painting a landscape and this guy up here putting some clouds in and this guy over here painting some trees up and down. And I would have another guy washing brushes and bringing them back. And I was, you know, pointing and, you know, and walking and moving and keeping everything going. And it, it felt that way. It felt like I was coordinating a you know this endeavor that was a fun to watch and um that's the way this felt too and even now in my business you know doing what i'm out here doing now is very similar we've used the, that analogy several times so it uh, plays a major uh, it's may if not the most uh substantial thing uh skill i feel like it was one of your qualifications honestly <laughs> it was a qualification for you to rob yeah. is to be an artist must be creative yes yeah. um okay so it is good friday right good friday it is the day that uh jesus if you're a christian is um rolling into jerusalem yeah he's about to be put onto the cross all right he is sacrificing himself as a great love we gesture it, yeah we for it, but okay. he is sacrificing himself for the love right of humanity save us all and you wake up that morning and it is the day that you are going to rob the bank. Yep. Can you lead us through the moments, right? You're I, racing. What is racing through your mind? What is the steps? All I can say is 
those well-laid plans <clears throat> went right out the window. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, it is Good Friday. I'm feeling like super sacrilegious at the same at the same time um i think that there was a like one small detail that i had forgot i needed to go to the store or, or there's something that i was like wait what about what about this so my way to and from the store i was like huh good friday are the banks closed today oh that yeah. suck. you know i feel like i wouldn't even know if the banks are closed on friday no uh, you know it's funny because, you know, uh, Nick Barris did a live report out there afterwards where during the time they were running the robot in and there were people commenting on there and this comment, they're like super, they're ridiculous. But somebody was like, Isn't, aren't the banks closed on Good Friday? It's a good thing school is out, you know, and <laughs> that's another thing, like a whole whole different subject. Anyhow, Wait, we'll, we'll talk about that. Don't worry. Anyhow, it was out, which was a relief for me. I was like, you know, that's good. The bank was open. Apparently they're open on Good Friday. I actually went in there and asked, are you guys opening? You know, are you closing early today? That's what I did and left. And of course I was in my girlfriend's car at the time, plain clothes, you know, no big deal. Left, um, went home and went back through everything. Tweaked the bomb apart, dipped it in bleach, reassembled it. I say bomb, but it's a simulated explosive device, literally made from a couple of DVD player circuit boards, uh, a spray paint can canister, a couple of ceiling fan mounts, some wires, and then I rigged up a little battery pack underneath the um, uh, the, the the DVD player circuit board, so the lights would light up, and and so the phone you'd light it, you know, had lights. I mean, it doesn't the lights make it real? The lights make it real. Yep. That's right. So I had all these like little hoses and cords and wires sticking out, and a couple big canister, little canister, you know, Pastor Troy looking. Uh, so, um, put that thing together, painted my skin, and you know, here I am, and um, you know, my uh let's just say my unwilling accomplice um, was was having a, a a moment, a bad day that day. So I was like, you know what? It's fine. I really appreciate it, but I'm doing this. So the painting of the truck, that didn't happen. Scratch it. I had to call an audible there. Um, so I was like, you know what? I'm just going to grab some gas. So I ran up to the store, grabbed the gas, and gassed the thing up, you know, in my costume by the way well and, um gas got me a gallon of gas and threw it in the back of the truck it's like i'm gonna burn them so pull this thing off out of sight into the park and burn it um had a nice like remote area picked out where they tried to uh you know like the state parks they keep four-wheelers out of there but somebody managed to always cut in a trail and get in there somehow so i eyeballed this place where i could pull in get in and get over a hill out of sight on the state park property so that was my, you know, staging, you know, run to here area. I pull out of, I get out, my truck won't start. Of course, I have to find a screwdriver and climb underneath of it and connect the 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 nodes on the starter to, with a screwdriver and make it start. So it finally starts and um, I jump in and I'm feeling like a total jackass like i've got this thing sitting in the passenger seat with me i'm of course you know dressed to the nines i wear my best jacket i got a nice blazer that i usually wear to court you know wow um my best shirt my easter suit you know and um here i go 
And the plan was to drive up past uh, past the bank into a neighborhood and make the call with the diversion phone from there. And at least that, because I knew that phone would ping, you know, anytime you pick up the phone, whether it's a dead phone or a phone you find on the street or any phone before you activate it, you can dial nine one one from it and it will ping a location from wherever you push the numbers, a flip phone uh, or anything, a go phone, whatever. So I pull out of the driveway and maybe a hundred to 200 yards away, I dial the nine one one call. I'm just, I'm doing it. What'd you say? Because we talked about a little bit about the diversion call. Like what, like, what was that call that was so concerning? Well, I called in an armed robbery. To- oh, oh, wow. <laughs> How ironic. Where at? I, it, well, okay. So Stewart's Ferry uh, Pike is just long curvy road that goes from, uh, well, in our area, it goes about from 840 to Mount Juliet Road on the parallel with the i-40 stretch there um so it's a lot more curvy it's there's no shoulder on it you know it's a bad place to drive you know people like the bicycle during rush hour off this thing is super irritating but anyhow suds creek market is about halfway down and i've driven it before at you know a moderate rate of speed and it takes six or seven minutes to get there doing 60 miles an hour so if you're a police officer doing you know as fast as you can go it's it's going to take you a good five or six minutes to get there so that's where i called the armed robbery into i was like oh there's a guy in here with a gun and it's you got to get your you know yeah so that was about it so um there's a guy laying on the floor. So that was it, right? I right. said the right words and scatter, and then static. And then the phone. So then I took the phone, broke it in half, and threw it out the window as I crossed over the interstate on the little road where I was. Went and parked about 100 yards down from the bank. And I sat there like, holy crap. And, um, cause that can get you trouble just in general. Yeah. I'm, I'm already, the, you're deep. I can't, yeah, I'm already, I'm knee deep. It was, a uh, uh, an obstruction charge actually, that was, uh, uh, worth two years in prison alone. Wow. Just, just so you know, um, I, so here they come whooshing by zoom, 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 woo, 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 woo. I think I counted maybe three, maybe four. And then one straggler that came out from my direction. So that was the idea is to get that any, you know, outer patrols that were on that perimeter out there and my escape route away from that area. So that when I walked in and, you know, placed the item on the counter and said, don't make any emergency calls that I could walk out, get in my truck, make my getaway route and you know, more than likely they're going to call, at least that's my thinking, whether they believe you or not, they're going to call. All they got to do is push a button. So I don't don't even think that there's a a thing that says armed robbery in progress at this location that anyone could hear on a scanner. I'm pretty sure that there's just an indicator that goes up at there and then they all come to that location. Any, you know, active patrols in that area are summoned to a certain location. So, Neither here nor there. I was trying to buy myself as much time as I could so that I could get away. So I didn't want to hurt anyone. I just wanted people to take me serious. So um, I walked in. I I actually started walking in and I turned around. 
I turned around. I got back in the truck and was like, I can't do this. I can't believe I'm traveling, doing this. I'm not doing this. I sat there for just a second and I was like, you know, what's going to happen if you don't, right? So you got to do something. And I'll be honest with you. I'm going to like, I'm going to like, just give me like, let's like right here. I want to say something because I've had this conversation with, with a friend of mine the other day and he's been through some trouble. And even he said like, at times it's like in, in prison, there's a slang term, they call it crashing out. Right. So that's when like you got too much going on. There's this guy bugging you about this. There's this guy bugging you about that. The, you know, you're not where you want to be and guys crash out in there. They'll start a fight so that they can get sent to the hole and, you know, get reclassed and get shipped somewhere else. Or, you know, it'll basically just mess up their whole bit. Everything that they have will be, you know, cast lots, you know, guys will take all their stuff and then it's like starting over and they call it crashing out. And that's what he said the other day. He says, man, I think I, I crashed out in life. Like, you know, nothing like my girlfriend, like wasn't going good. I lost custody of my kids and hated my job. I didn't have a car. I was trapped out in the middle of nowhere. And I'm just kind of like, you know, made a couple stupid moves and I almost kind of felt like I did it on purpose, you know, so that I could have opportunity to start over, you know, get in there, get sober, you know, and then have a, a, an opportunity to start over. And uh, it was the, during this time, these few days, I was feeling like that. I was like, look at my life. Like, you know, I want to be able to work and to be able to function and contribute. And, um, I don't know, be a soccer coach or a, a mentor or build stuff or whatever, be the, the most in my potential, you know? And I was like, I'm never going to be able to do it. Going through these cycles and, you know, overcoming an opioid addiction was like the biggest main thing. I was like, how am I ever going to be able to get over that? Well, I know one thing, if I go to prison, I'll be able to get over it. And everybody's like, well, they got more drugs and cheaper drugs in prison than they do anywhere else. But you can make a choice when you go in there. Sometimes out here, it's, it's, it's just different. And, I, and I, re, I can remember thinking that. I'm not saying I did it on purpose or anything, but in a way, like I said, I had this out-of-body experience. And I swear, when I went back to the truck and I talked myself out of it, I was like, just put one foot in front of the other. And I, I swear, I stepped one foot out, and then I stepped another foot out. And I watched my feet the whole way in there. I watched my feet go in there. You know, I watched my hand, like I made my hand just open the door. Just, just open the door. Just step inside. Just step again step again right just set the thing on the counter just slide the note and when i did she read it she was very scared she was she was starting to shake and she was reading it and i looked at her and i said yes this is for real do you see what it says on the paper do you see this wire hanging out of my ear right here and i turned the device around so that she could see and opened up the phone and pressed the button on it so she could see it light up and once the lights came on it was like it was real and um the other teller lady peeked around and I said, you, I want yours too. She she had already tried to throw a couple bundles of money in there and push it back to me. I was like, no, I want it all. And I want yours too. So they had filled up two more bags of money. I'm pretty sure it was all ones. <laughs> I mean, it had to be right. One small bundle of twenties, two big bundles of fives. And I'm, the rest of it was ones. They were all of these, like, they call them vape bills. I guess they're recorded serial numbers. Mm -hmm. So I learned this after the fact. And, um, what did your note say? It said, I know where you live. I know your name. I have followed you home for the last couple of days. 
if you call emergency services, I will show back up to your house. You will see me again. Wow. I want all, I, it also said that the um, wire in my ear could, was connected to a scanner where I could hear emergency services and that if I heard any calls in the next five minutes come into emergency services, that I would use the phone that I had to light up the phone on the other one and that would be the last thing that they saw. Wow. So she handed me that. I left the device. I grabbed the note. I walked out. I got in the truck. I sped away. Um, I made it to my little location, and and that was that. So, wow. and so you know when you're telling the story on our previous podcast, there was a section about the hero factor, right? And I kind of want to talk about for a second and have you describe, you know. Thanks Some things you didn't account for, sure right? You said that the um, bank was across a different school. You didn't realize that. And what and does YouTube, the hero factor mean? Okay, so the hero factor was like, I think that's the reason I turned around the first Again, time because I see these two big the diesel trucks parked in the parking lot. And I was like, holy crap, I didn't even think about that. There's going to be these, uh, you know, cowboy types in there that... Um, like you say, might carry a concealed weapon underneath their denim jacket and not hesitate to be the the hero of the day. So it was kind of like, how do I be aggressive and show that I mean business and also get in and out kind of unnoticed at the same time? It wasn't like one of those in the movies, jump up on the counter, give me all your money or I'm going to kill you type things. Like, I didn't even want to say the words, I'm going to kill you. And I wouldn't, you know, to, so to see them in there was like, they were, happened to be like over in a loan officer's, you know, in front of their door, just kind of leaned up, you know, away from the area, just enough where they didn't hear me. So it was like, I was scared to death of that. Once I finally got in there, I was just trying to, you know, make the communications that I had stern enough to where they knew that I was serious, but not so loud that those guys would hear me or even like make a, make it a no. I'm not sure if they knew what was happening while I was in there, but they definitely knew after I was gone. Um, Were there any other sure. people in there that you like noticed or thought about or? No other uh, patrons in there. There was one lady who was at like the front desk when I walked in. She never looked up and never looked down. I don't think she ever knew I came in or even left until I'm sure once I left, the lady probably screamed, we just got robbed. So uh, I'm assuming that's what was said. I, you know, I felt really bad for the lady that, that was the teller there. So, yeah. uh, you know, like like you said, that the school was across the street. Of course, I didn't think about that until, you know, I was already walking out. You know, I'm like, it's empty. You know, I, they're out of school. I guess it, it was spring break. Um, there was a church next to that. You know, in all my life, I've driven past this place. You know, I've never thought about it. Maybe, I guess, like, why would they put a bank in the middle of nowhere? You know, maybe that type of situation. Maybe it was waiting for me this whole time to to, to change my life. Right. But um, it was, it, it, from the hero factor to the school, to the church, that they turned into, like, a, a crisis center, um, turning the front of the school into the place where they brought out the SRT team and the the bomb robot getting it out and calibrating it. I'm assuming uh, the news vans. It was 
it was embarrassing, you know, for me. And I felt really bad. I felt like, man, this is the worst, you know, like I've done, it doesn't, it didn't even matter if I had what I needed money wise or whatever at that point to me that time, I just wanted to like reverse every bit of it. Right. Um, during the execution of the robbery, you know, a lot of emotions are going on. How did you manage those emotions when you were in there and then even walking out? I have no idea. I, I, I stayed focused on the job. You know, it's like when, say, you know, you get up in the morning and you have an argument with your spouse. You know, some people can't get over that, you know, and they stay stuck until they get something resolved. Some people, like, you know, the show must go on. I'm going to compartmentalize that. Yeah. I'm going to move on through the day. I'm going to start the car. I'll sip the coffee. I'll listen to the AM radio on the way in. And then I will conduct my tasks and get through the day. Maybe if I have a moment, I will text them, I love you. And that's, you know, the way that you got to do what you got to do. So in a nutshell, I just compartmentalized them and think that it all just, you know, it even took several days for it to even hit me. You know, even the processing, being arrested and um, the aftermath of it all was even still like a process. Right. Well, and I also like think about just your, your childhood and your early years, like you had to you know, manage emotions a lot. You would compartmentalize a lot. And so, and I know we jokingly talked about this, but you've like, your life kind of trains you to be able to handle those kinds of emotions, which is what's wild to me. Yeah. I, I thought about that too. And, you know, I'm like, even I just said a minute ago, like, um, been waiting for me there my whole life. Right. I, um, it just didn't seem like a, a hard thing to do. I, um, I kept them, you know, I was scared. I was um, terrified, you know, the whole freaking time. And, you know, I knew some somewhere deep down, like the minute I opened up those bags and saw that there was like $3,500 plus dollars in there, I was like, I'm going to jail. There's no way I couldn't even, there isn't enough money in here to get out of the county, much less the state or the country. So not that that's what I was trying to do. I was trying to pay all the bills off and stay under the radio, radar, you know? Right. And um, after I saw that, it was like, you know, I knew that was happening. So I just, um, I, I went through the motions, you know? I felt like I was doing a job. I felt like I was going to work and that, in, in a minute, I'm going to be arrested. I told Jessica even very calmly when, um, you know, we were um, in the hotel room and the, you know, the task force finally caught up with us and the knocks were on the door. I was like, look, lay down on the floor, put your hands out in front of you. You know, she was very pregnant, you know, so I didn't want them to slam her on the ground and hurt the baby. I was like, they're going to come in and they're going to put their knee on top of your face and they're going to be very rough with you. So do all the motions that you can so that they don't force you into doing those motions and they're going to hurt you and the baby. So she did. And until she got into position, I wouldn't open the door. And, you know, of course I was trying to, you know, Tony Montana, the rest of the... <laughs> You know, the stuff that was on the bathroom counter before they got in there. Right, flushed down the toilet. And then, you know, you realize that you only came out with a little bit of money, a portion of what you thought you were going to. So in the story, you said, eh, you know, screw it. I'm just going to get 
high as heck. Yeah. Is that the moment where you felt like there was a moment of no return, like you'd rather die then? Like, like what was the point? Like, what, what did you feel about that? I don't know. I, I knew that I was going to be arrested and I was already like, um, feeling sick i was already feeling the detox coming on because i had made myself be sober so that i could execute you know you know my tasks uh without you know making some stupid blunder you know right which you know because i knew there was going to be some problems or some type of something that i was gonna have to call an audible on you know i wanted to be able to think clearly and not be emotional you know you know i think that we're just keeping a clear head you know helped a lot with that but um at that point you know when i decided to get high i was like well at least it'll prolong that that pain on you know because I, I i assumed i was gonna go to chill that night or even the night the day after so i wanted to at least like get that somehow inside of me i, I don't think that there was enough there to kill me so I, I couldn't afford it. <laughs> Do you think your uh, your drug induced, uh, you know, what you're doing right now, what you were doing at that time, is what gave you the courage to uh, attempt to make a negotiation deal? Probably, I, you know that that falls back to the creative factor. Yep. You know, um, I can remember, you know, before I went to like we made our, I made my getaway. I left the bank and. You know, tried to set the truck on fire, but I didn't have, I couldn't find my lighter. Ironic. So, so all the trace, the note, you know, the wig in my costume pretty much was in the truck on this state, left on the state property. And, you know, I left and then drove back through there and stopped at my guy's house. And, you know, I called, uh, I called a, a really close family member to come and uh, help. And, you know, help us get in to get a hotel room for us. And, uh, you know, gave them some money and went on about my business. And uh, later on, you know, I know that the, the FBI had, had questioned them uh, before they found us, ironically. And um, they said that they had, they would not believe for one second that the guy that was in the bank was me. Right, because you've done such a good job crafting a different persona. I wish I could find that picture because it definitely, you know, looks like someone else. That's for sure. Um, so, Hopefully we can find it in your files. Yeah, he, was, he was mad. The FBI agent was super mad that I was like, I'll tell you exactly who that guy is. If you can guarantee me that I only do two years in a in a camp somewhere. So he was like, deal. Tell me right now. And I was like, uh, it's me. And oh, he was like, oh, he slammed the paper down. It was like super mad, like a uh, TV crime drama series mad. Like, get the hell out of here. You're so full of it. And like got up in my face. And I was like, look, man, it's me. I painted my skin. I put a mustache on. I created the whole deal. And he was like, the guy that come in there was like six foot three. There's no way that was used. And I was like, and I showed it. I was like, look at See these things right here? I had taken some plywood and and cut some little, you know, the shape of a heel of a boot and put them down in the shoes until I stay stacked up. And, you know, they made me taller, like I was walking on my tippy toes, you know, inside my shoes. And um, <laughs> he didn't believe me. <laughs> Jeez. That's so, that's so cute. I, I, I don't think it had any, any, any impact either way on my sentencing. But what I will say is that 
they tried to charge me with a hate crime. They tried to charge me with give me an an additional like two years on um, like targeting a, a another race and have them you know looking for a different race of people and targeting them, which I kind of find you know crazy. How they, you know how can you charge with that? I mean, if you're trying to do a crime, you're going to get away, try to get away with the crime regardless of it. So you're going you're really, they're going to charge me with a hate crime because I dressed up like a rabbit and now I'm endangering rabbits. Oh, well, <laughs> it's I mean. Um, FBI comes in there, right? All right. Take you away. Yeah. Where are you, where are you going? Um, well, they separate us. You know, they question us. You know, that whole bit comes to a head. And they take me to the local county jail. And, you know, they put me in there. And the next morning, I'm like, you know, where's the food? Uh, what's happening? You know, I wake up. Uh, super early. I didn't get any sleep. I figured maybe I'd sleep it off, but I for some reason I went straight into it, straight into the detox right then and there, like mm -hmm. that night. Like there was no sleep. There was no um, like sense of like okay, well at least I'll I'll ride this out. It was constant stress. Like I was jacked up on um, adrenaline, and um, so these two big guys. When like full tack gear come and get me and drive me from Lebanon in this blacked out SUV, like you see on TV, uh, down to like the big, huge federal building downtown, the uh, Fred Thompson building or whatever they call it, and um, go into this special parking garage. And um, it's crazy. Like uh, the things that you never see right downtown there's all these little ins and outs and so we pull into this weird parking garage right near where i had worked so many times and never had any idea and um take me up into this place which it was the courthouse at the time now they have the new building and um uh they processed me super cold like icebox in there i was in there for about a day and then this bus this little van came to get me with these other two plain-closed uh, U.S. Marshals, and they drove me up to a holding facility in Kentucky. We drove up to this little place, and it looked like um, looked like it looked like two of your it looked like your house, like two little houses. I'm like, well, this is quaint, you know. Like get in this place, and it's like. Um, the Umbrella Corporation, like an octagon that goes down underground, like eight stories. What? That is crazy. Yeah. So no windows, got like the tower in the middle. And that's where that was my home until I was, um, until I was sentenced. And, uh, I, I sat there and was arraigned and sentenced and did a few more months there until they finally put me on the bus to go to prison. Wow. Yeah. Um, when you kind of like look back or even think about it now, what impact did the bank robbery have on your local community and how did it affect people around you, whether it's the community, friends, family? You touched on it a little bit about how the church turned into a center, yeah. um, you know. Well, you know, for one, like everyone who worked in the bank does not work there anymore. None of them. <laughs> not a blame them. All of them, uh, you know, had to, had to talk to a counselor or you know, to some degree, you know, had, you know, an issue with that happening in such a quaint rural, you know, place like that, which it is. Gladeville is like 
I love like all these say that's the center of the universe right there. Mm -hmm. You know, it really is. I still say it every, all the time. And, um, like, um, Nick Barris, he's the channel five top reporter guy. It might be channel two. I'm not sure, but he's doing a, an exclusive, you know, on something two or three nights a week out there. And he lives in Gladeville and he did like a live stream on Facebook during the time when they were running the robot in there. And, you know, I can remember seeing the report and, you know, he was like, I could see the emotion in his face and seeing the comments about people and the kids in the school. And, you know, at least community wise, you know, it just made me feel like, it, it made me feel like a real piece of garbage, like seeing that, that part, you know, was brought to this perfect, good, low crime, you know, trusting area neighborhood. And I don't know if it brought people together or made people talk about it more or anything like that. But, um, I do know that, you know, like, um, for me personally, that, you know, it, I've written letters to the everyone who worked in the bank and you know tried to let them know that i would have never had any intention of hurting them and and then i didn't want them to fear for anything that i was in a desperate place and that you know that they had nothing to worry about or fear and um but as far as me personally like it embarrassed every single person in my family. Easter Sunday, everybody's waking up to this uh, news cover story. Got my picture on the news that says that I robbed a bank and that I'm wanted by the FBI and yada, 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 and that I'm in custody. And, um, you know, no one talked to me. Um, you know, it was years in there. I never had a visit while I was in prison. Um, you know, my mom had written me a couple of letters and there was a several people who really you know hung in there with me but that's another story for another time but um it just it sealed the the door shut with any kind of you know support or 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 relationship with with the family like which 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 i don't blame them either you know and probably be the same with me i mean why would i want anything to do with my um drug addicted bank robber nephew that you know decided to go throw his life away yeah definitely and we only have a couple questions left here in your hand just touch on it but you know what steps have you taken now to make amends or kind of turn your life around since you know being released since that since that robbery well i mean that's like the whole reason for the podcast right yeah one of them, yeah. i mean it's 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 what my life is about now like, um, at some point through, you know, halfway through my, um, you know, my prison stay, I, I made the, the decision to, to turn this whole thing around and to, you know, build people who were positive, build a, a group of mentors who were positive, who could, you know, help me change my life and be good examples and show me what, you know, that even looks like. Uh, not to mention, you know, the work that I've done on myself physically and, uh, you know, the books that I've read. And um, so as far as like where I'm at right now is like the business, um, the podcast, uh, the guys who work for me, even, you know, I've worked super hard to be able to not only maintain you know, my business and my life and my social status being very meticulous about 
are in particular about the even the things that I just post, you know, I'm just very selective and very particular about the way that I carry myself in my life. And um, I want to be able to, you know, I mean, we've been through this. I've tried to help several guys and put and ended up putting myself at risk, you know, and getting just a little bit too close to the flame there when it comes to trying to help people out with their issues. And um, if it wasn't for the guys who helped me, I wouldn't be in this position. And I'm, it's kind of funny because I just talked to one of them this morning and he was like, you know, you're going to, it's, it's going to be really hard for you to do this because nine out of 10 of those people are going to let you down. They're not going to make it through the program. They're not going to be this big success story that you're used to seeing because you happen to be one that did it. Just stick in there, hang in there for the one person that makes it, and that'll make it worth it. Just don't get discouraged. That's exactly what he said to me this yeah. morning. Yeah, uh, well, it's it's true, right? Yeah. So, uh, you know, as far as the changes and stuff that I've made, I mean, I could go on and on about them. I feel like that's a another episode or two, but um, yeah. I'm definitely not. Um, I've, I'm in a rehabilitation program. I try, I've spoken to um, drug court classes and communities. I've tried to advocate for rehabilitation, recovery, and reentry, and am using this podcast as a means to create awareness for uh, vocational rehabilitation, reentry, recovery, and rehabilitation, and to build, you know, the Do South Design Center. So I would say that there's been some major changes and decisions there for sure. Oh, definitely. I mean, I think. Your life now is all about giving back to your community and using your, um, you know, your story and your experience to inspire change in in many different areas. So with that last question, right, if you could go back and advise your past self or even people that are in the situation right now, right, something similar, they feel like they're desperate, they're in a free fall, if you will, right, what would you say to them to prevent taking a path like yours? Picking up some advice. Get a paternity test early on. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I mean, that's some foreshadowing <laughs> right there. That's some foreshadowing. Uh, definitely. No, I'm just kidding. Um, for real. Um, so if I could, I mean, what advice could I give them? You know, it's hard to give someone who has um, made a huge mess of their life. But each time I have had to go and face the music, or, um, you know, running from something for a period of time, each time, every single time I've been, I wish I would have done this a long time ago. Yeah. So that thing that you're running from, that thing that you feel like is unforgivable or um, like unmanageable or, or whatever it is, like get up and walk out and like just go do it right now. You know, like, I know this could sound crazy, but if you got like something hanging over your head, go turn yourself in. If you're feeling like, oh, well, I have people to support and this and that or things that happen, everything is better off 
right now. Get it done right now so that you can be a better person as soon as you can. Time is the only thing that matters. Right now. Not money, not uh, what, where you're at or where you're going anywhere else. It's time. That's the, the governing factor in all of our lives right now. And the minute that you can evolve and learn from what it, what has happened to you or what's going on with you is the minute you're able to share it with somebody else is the minute you're able to actually contribute and give so I've, i'm i don't know a lot of times people ask me would you do it again or if you could go back and do anything different you know it's a very hard question to answer because i wouldn't be in the position that i'm in right now to be able to say i, I just feel like it, it takes a in order to make an omelet, you're going to break a few eggs and not that I would go and rob a bank or, you know, consciously, like purposefully say, hey, I know what's going to happen here. This is going to, you know, scare people and, you know, create panic and, you know, cause things to happen here and, and, and cause especially my sons, you know, to have to be without a dad for five years, um, not to mention, you know, what happened, you know, during that time, I hate you know, I couldn't do that, but to, um, to give someone advice to my past self or to one person, I would say, you know, to stop thinking about it and do it, do it scared. <laughs> do it scared. <laughs> awesome. Well, I know this has been a longer episode than usual, but hopefully we have answered some of your um, questions that you've been curious about. Again, as Matt said, if you have questions that you have not that we have not answered, feel free to submit them on doitscared.com slash podcast or follow us on Instagram and on TikTok, which is also do it scared. And we look forward to hearing from you. Thank you again for listening. We will he see you in or I guess you'll hear us in the next one. Bye. Bye.